That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. What's up? Thanks for tuning in today to another episode of Sober Guy Radio. I feel like I don't say this enough, but I want to give much love and respect and gratitude to everybody out there who listens to the show, who provides feedback for the show, who's a part of the show, uh, a part of this platform at that, the Sober Guy community, and all, all who are in recovery and all of your roles that all of us play together to bring uh, such positivity, hope, change, all that good stuff. Um, in the lives of those who are struggling with addiction, with alcoholism, and with all sorts of different mental health issues. So thank you so much. Um, also want to give some love to Humans for the intro to the show and the closing. Good stuff right there. If you haven't checked Humans music out, please do so. They're good friends of the show. Today's guest is Tad Stringham. And uh, you are in for it in this one, man. Tad is about the realest cat I think I've talked to on the show. We've talked to some real folks, definitely. But uh, uh, you're going to get the the honest truth from tad and that's um you know that's without without saying let me give you a little bit about tad's background here before we get into the to the conversation um today tad is a, uh, is certified in interventions and integrated methods uh, and he's also certified by the board of alcohol and drug counselors uh, he's the owner and operator of awaken industries which provides interventions to uh, those struggling out there with addiction with alcoholism with mental health who are in gangs um, who are in and out of the prison system let me tell you a little bit about tad's background um, he spent just under 12 years incarcerated in state and federal prison um, he was raised in in a pretty well-mannered and structured Mormon family which was full of athletes uh, achieved athletes at that successful professionals and he chose to be the mischievous one in the family uh, after his arrest at 19 tad entered the utah prison system and he was a scared skinny young man he'd never been to prison before he did not know what to expect other than what he saw on the movies that's it um, the next few years of his life were spent fighting his way to the top of a notorious white supremacy group um, which ultimately resulted in him being a top shot caller in, in prison. Um, now, his breakthrough came after being stabbed 10 times and almost killed. It's, it's unbelievable. And he talks a little bit about, about this. He talks a lot about being in, you know, what being in prison was like and, you know, how that affected him. And then, of course, we get into how he's been able to change his life around and give back and help other young kids who are being recruited by white supremacy gangs, by gangs in general. So it's not just a, it's really not just a white supremacy thing for Tad. Um, you know, it's really, and, and of course he, that's what he knows best because that's what he, you know, studied and was a part of at one point in his life before he, you know, went down this other much better path, obviously. Um, it's all gangs, you know, it's all young adults out there, kids even, who are who are struggling and so his his story is really truly amazing he's a super cool dude i'm very very excited and very blessed to have him on the show today and and have him share uh, his story with you so we're going to get to him in just a moment but 
First, a word from our sponsor. At Foundations Recovery Network, our mission is to create lifetime relationships for long-term recovery. In our history of doing good is the promise of your future getting better. So if you or someone you love needs help, please know we are here to help. And the sign on our door says, we care. We create an individualized treatment plan for the whole person, for the whole you, because to us, you matter. The first step to recovery is heroic. We know that. And with our heroes in recovery movement, we honor those who have taken that step toward recovery and stand up for you and stand beside you and stand together to break the stigma placed on addiction. Call our confidential and private line at 877-714-1318. We are here to help you. And help has a phone number, 877-714-1318. Make the call. We're listening. We're Foundations Recovery Network. Thanks to Foundations for supporting the show. A couple quick things and then we'll get right into Tad's interview. Go to thatsoberguy.com. Check out all the free content on there. Lots of past episodes in case you missed any. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about what's coming up too. If you'd like to support us, you can make a donation on there. You can also support us by going to Patreon. Patreon.com slash SoberGuyRadio. And you can pledge. And also with that pledge, you will get the new bi-weekly real series with Shane and the Jess. Shane, like I'm not myself. I just spoke of myself in the third person. My apologies, but you can get that. Go check that out. We love you. We appreciate all the support. Love all the feedback. Let's get to Tad Stringham. All right, folks, welcome to Sober Guy Radio. I have a great guest uh, for you today. Tad Stringham is joining the show. Tad and I met down in San Diego quite a few months back, and uh, we finally connected. I'm super excited to bring his story um, of, of inspiration and really redemption to you today. He's got a pretty gnarly story, and he's been able to turn his life around and really give back to the recovery community in in a pretty um, amazing way. So Tad, welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much, man. Good to be here. Yeah, good to have you. Um, I've been looking forward to this for for a minute. And speaking of that, actually, I forgot to mention before we started recording, actually, I had to reschedule, man, because I literally lost my voice. And so you were so cool about that. And I really appreciate it, man. Absolutely, man. I'm glad you're on the man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still I'm still a little bit a little bit in there, a little bit congested and such, but man, it's so much better than it is. So enough about me, man. Let's let's jump into you and uh we're gonna get right into this. Um, you know, take us back, man, to what life was like with you growing up and um and ultimately what what led um down what led you down the path that you uh that you ended up going down. All right. Well, I uh I grew up in a in a large family. I've got six brothers and sisters, so there's seven kids total. Uh, mom and dad are both, uh, long time back, uh, Mormons, um, LDS folks. And so, uh, right from the gate, man, I was, uh, I remember being, um, in trouble a lot, bucking the system quite a bit. You know, we lived a pretty, uh, strict, um, by a pretty strict set of rules. Uh, and, and I was a, a rule breaker, um, you know, didn't want to, didn't want to conform and, and do what I was being told to do. And so, you know, I had a I had an interesting childhood, man, because I, you know, I, I grew up with with six brothers and sisters who are all extremely athletic, um, college scholarships and all American athletes, and and uh, you know, we all wanted our attention, man. You know, we all um, 
And, and so, you know, being that I had six brothers and sisters who were all getting showered with attention, national media attention, oh, wow. I wanted, I wanted mine too. And so, um, you know, I don't, I don't really know, Shane, I don't know if, if that was the, the, the catalyst. I don't know if, you know, I think it's a story that I've heard from other people. And so I've just kind of accepted it that, that getting the negative attention was my way of making sure that people knew I existed. Hmm. You know, I think that's really what it boils down to, man, is, is, and when you have, when you have seven babies to nurture and care for, man, and you have <laughs> dad who live in Mission Viejo, California. So in Orange County, he's working his tail off, man, to keep us, you know, yeah. food on the table and clothes on our back. And, and, uh, you know, the religious aspect was really strong, man. And, and, and I didn't, I didn't really vibe with it. Um, you know, and, and, and the Mormon church is interesting in that. Um, and I think the, the, the Roman Catholic church is the same way in that if your family's that, that's what you are as well. Mm. Uh, not really a choice. Um, it's just kind of like, a. uh, I guess how the how the the British treat the royal family like you're just born into the family you're just born yeah. in so um but it didn't really vibe with me man and and um you know I was and then we moved to Utah my dad was was uh, gotten a, a lot of trouble growing up and where it finally uh came to a head is I lit my junior high school on fire in Mission Viejo oh, shit. so yeah, man, just, uh, just yeah. you know, like I said, Shane, looking back on it, I don't really know why I did the outrageous things that I did. I did some outrageous things, man, like some, but, and I really, you know, after all the training and, and, and work that I've done on myself, I really just think that's what it was. It was, it was attention. I wanted for somebody to notice me and, and, yeah. and let know that I was uh, important and unique and, and loved and, you know, it's probably the wrong way to go about it getting it but but i got it i mean that was how i got yeah. my attention it was everyone thought i was real funny and you know causing myself lockups and you know all kinds of trouble but yeah but i was able to get attention from other people so it was a good trade-off i guess <laughs> you know yeah i i picture back uh you remember the show jackass mm-hmm. I, I, I picture back you doing some cr- probably probably much crazier than Jackass too, but maybe that was kind of the original. Like I always feel like that too. Like it was for you know attention. Obviously, Jackass was a show, and so that yeah. was much different. But at the same time, when we're young like that, man, um, if we feel like we're not getting that that feedback, that love, whatever. I mean, who who knows? You know, like your brothers and sisters, maybe they turn to sports. You turn to lighting your school on fire. You know what I mean? Like, it's a it's it's a crazy thing, man. So so take us from um take us from there. Where does that go later on in high school or after high school? So I I, I graduated high school barely. In fact, I got out of jail. That my mom bailed me out of jail that morning. That I got to walk with my class. So I mean, it no. wasn't like I think the story that I've told in the past is that everything was cool through high school and then. She, shit went south yeah. that's really not true man like things were going you know i lost my pops uh, right before i turned 16 i was in high school that really affected me um how did you de- how did you deal with that man um or or did or did you deal i mean at 16 obviously that's a young i don't think i did and i don't think my family did it was it was real painful mm. man um yeah you know, I think we talked about it once as a family afterwards. And other, I mean, it's not like it's, we don't talk about it. It's just that when we do, it's so painful and sure. we get emotional. And so none of us really like to go there at least for an, a, a, an extended amount of time because it, yeah. it, I mean, it's, it's so confusing to a child, man. I mean, even yeah. as an adult, when I lose people now, I'm like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, 
what do you mean they're gone? When I think about them, I can still feel them. So like, are they gone? It's a trip, man. It's a real, but it definitely sent a confusing message to me that, you know, here was this dad, my, my larger than life dad that never missed a day of work. That was always this manly brawny, you know, cattle ranching man. And, and, and then he was just gone, man. And, and, uh, so I don't really know how I dealt with it, Shane. I, I don't think that I did. I don't think that I processed it, at least in a healthy way. But, I mean, what is processing losing a parent way before its time? Sure. You know, my little brother was eight or nine, you know, when he died. I mean, that's that's just, I mean, my dad was only 52, man. You know, yeah, so that's young. 12 years older than I am now. That's mm. crazy, man. It really is. <laughs> so do you think that that had a, a, a do you think at that point, um, was that kind of a turning point? Would you say when you look back now, did it have a profound effect of, of the path that you continue to go down? Um, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if for no other reason that he wasn't around to, uh, I mean, that was the kind of the one thing that, uh, that kept me from jumping off the edge completely was that my, you know, my dad had, had whooped me, you know what I mean? He, huh. he, 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 uh, dealt out spankings with the belt, man. And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, although it didn't deter me completely, it, it definitely uh, kept me a little more in line than, than I yeah. would have been. And after he was gone, I was I was angry at God. I was angry at the world. Um, and now my dad wasn't around to whoop me no more. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, things, you know, after my dad died, it wasn't it wasn't a month or no, excuse me, a year later. Uh, I was in a, a treatment program, several different treatment. Like I was in one, got kicked out, of that, kicked out of that and then sent to another uh, treatment program. Um, so yeah, it, it, it played, a, it played a role for sure. Yeah. It's, it sounds like you had, um, you know, it sounds like you looked up to him a lot and you had a lot of respect for him. And, um, I can't imagine being 16 and then having to go through that, um, you know, and that feeling, feeling lost almost, and then the hurt and stuff too. Um, so man, uh, take after, after that kind of, after that kind of sinks in, I guess, in a sense, which I'm sure took, you know, I don't know if it ever does. Um, where does that go? Like in your twenties, how does that lead to you? Um, you know, in and out of, or in a penitentiary, I think you did 12 years, right? In yeah, about 11 years, eight months total. But so the first time I went in, so 18, I graduated high school. Um, and, and at 19, I was, I was locked up. So, hmm. uh, and, and my first, my first bid down, I did, you know, six years. That's the real scary one, man. When you go in for the first time, if you don't know anybody, like if you know yeah. somebody, um, you know, cause most people in prison do, they've been doing CYA time together or, you know, youth corrections, um, you know, they've been in the system, um, or, you know, from their neighborhood, they've got, you know, homeboys or, or you know, uncles, even yeah, dads. Somebody. I mean, I saw a lot of fa- I didn't have anybody, man. I didn't know a single soul when I went into the Utah state prison, a 19 year old Mormon kid, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I might've done a little few rebellious acts, but I definitely wasn't an, you know, an inner city hardcore person who had been grown up on the streets. Yeah. Um, and so I was scared, man. I mean, you know, I, I thought that, uh, I thought that, that, you know, the Hollywood movies were real. And I was terrified, man. I, you know, I, I, I didn't, it was, it was a real crazy time in my life. Sure. For sure. How, how did you, uh, so if you don't mind, man, can you talk a little bit about that, about going in for the first time? Like, what is that like, especially being 19? Um, I know we have some, some, some younger, some younger dudes out there that listen to this show, um, you know, and to put the reality spin on it, man, um, talk about that a little bit. What does that feel like, um, you know, going, and then what does that feel like when you're there and, 
I mean, really, how the fuck do you survive? Yeah. Well, so, you know, when I was out, because I went up and down the state of Utah writing a bunch of checks, I met a guy in jail who was actually from out here in Southern California, a guy named Todd. And uh, he, when he got out on work release from jail, I had been released and we went on a, a crime spree, really, just writing checks up and down the state of Utah. I really didn't think, um, I, I knew I was going to prison, I, but I just didn't like put that together and like meet those two that like you're going to go to a cage when they yeah. bust this. I guess I just thought, you know, hey, my dad had died. I come from a really good family. They've been able to get me off the hook several times. So, you know, I didn't, I never thought that it was going to be like it was. And I'm telling you, man, when, you know, when, when I get the chance to go and work with young men, one of the, I mean, I, I love to be able to connect with them and look them in the eye and, and let them know, man, that, you know, I, I didn't think prison was for me either. Yeah. You know, because a lot of guys are like, oh, I'm not going to prison. I'm not, you know the prison's full of people that didn't think they were going to get busted, mm. you know, didn't think they were going to get told on, didn't think they were going to get set up. Didn't think like it happens, man. And so going there, bro, like I actually wrote a book that it, that it, that it hasn't come out yet because when I wrote it, um, uh, I was still in a place of, Hey, look at me. I need yeah. this attention. I need for people to see how cool I was that I went into the prison, a scared little Mormon kid and came out, uh, one of the shock callers. So, yeah. um, but that's a whole long story. And, and, and I mean, crazy things transpired in prison, man. It's, it's not a nice place. Uh, and as far as survival goes, you just have to act fucking crazy. I mean, yeah. that's really what it boils down to, man. I mean, I've always been a real soft dude. That's the truth. Like, um, you know, I've always, always been real touched when I see homeless people or stray dogs or, I mean, it just really, I feel really connected to, to, to anything living, really nature, yeah. animals and humans alike. And so going there, you know, you go to a place where human life isn't valued. And that's, I mean, that's, you know, you can describe prison in many ways, but, you know, I think that it's a lot like a war zone. You know, when these guys go to war, um, it's, it's, you're, you're in a place where human life is, isn't valued. Yeah. It's okay to kill somebody or it's okay to hurt somebody really badly. And, and uh, that's a real fucked up state of mind, man. That's a real fucked up. I mean, the energy that is produced inside of a prison, especially like a maximum security yard or a gang unit, which I spent, you know, many, many, many years in. Yeah. Um, what is that? What is that like? Because, man, I, I totally relate to you on the fact of that empathy, that deep empathy for other for other people, for like, like you said, a dog, for an animal, um, for a homeless person, for someone who's hurt. Like, I want to help them. I want to. I want to, and I, 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 it's so crazy because I can almost feel literally that pain when I see that. Like I can, I can almost like it transforms into me. I know it might sound weird. It's just that it just, I feel it. Right. So when you go into a place like that, like a straight war zone, pretty much, how do you turn that off, man? Because I would imagine, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, like in a sense, you have to kind of hide that almost, right? Like you said, to survive, you have to be crazy. And I feel like in, in a lot, in myself at least, there is a switch in there that um, I've been in quite a few situations where that switch just hits and it's like just fucking madness, like crazy madness, you know? And obviously it's not on the scale as being in, in prison like yourself, but what is that like to have to, to turn that switch off, you know? Man, it's... it's uh 
golly, I don't even know if you can put words to it, Shane. It's yeah. um, because it, it, not only are you turning a switch off, I mean, it, it's you're actually going against your human nature. Yeah, because I'd imagine it's heart wrenching to have to do and, that. And and the only time, really, truly, that you're safe in prison. And even then you're not because your celly can, I mean, plenty of cellies have cut their celly's throat, you know, during, in the night during lockdown. But yeah. that's really the only time you're safe, man, is when the doors are locked from either, you know, to, depending on what level you are, 10 o'clock at night to, to five in the morning, your door is shut. And that's really, I guess, the time when you can reflect and, and uh, but it's all madness, dude. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. It's a big, huge elementary school where, where elementary school attitudes are are in play which is let's fight about it and it's grown men and they got big pieces of steel that they stick in each other man so it's it's it really is dude it's a it's a it's a it's a it is a war zone you know and and what sucks about it man is that that's what especially with with drugs and 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 alcohol even that that we criminalize that shit in this country that our prisons are full of people and they're locked up. I mean, I was a forger, man. I, you know, I'm not saying that I didn't deserve to be where I was, but I was in with murderers, man. Yeah. I was in, I mean, when this whole thing came about, when I first went to prison, um, it's a long, crazy story, man. And I, I could have you on here for hours telling you about it because it's really, but the, the long and short of it was, um, well, who cares? No, I, no, get get in. If you don't mind, man, get into it. We got. I I, I have as much time as you have, so that's. I'll leave that up to you, okay, man. Cool. I'd love to so hear when, it. When I first went in, I played basketball my whole life. I grew up playing basketball. My all my brothers and sisters play basketball, and so I went into prison, and I did the only thing I know how to do is play basketball. And it was it was only the blacks who were playing basketball, and so immediately my own race hated me, hmm. and. And we're talking shit about me behind my back. And I don't know, like, I'm just trying to, it's, it's the only part of the day. We have yeah. indoor basketball court, full court. I'm the only white guy out there on the floor, <laughs> but I'm loving it, man. Yeah. Like I wasn't in prison when I'm on a hardwood floor playing basketball. I would do it all day long, every yeah. day if I could. Um, so I started already uphill. I befri- a, 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 a black guy befriended me. His name was John John. And he used to play baseball with my ex-brother-in-law. So he kind of took me under his wing, which... So you felt this connection kind of because he That's actually not- knew somebody that you knew. This yeah. guy was, he was the only one really that like talked to me. So this guy started giving me tobacco. First bag of tobacco he gave me, I went and brought it back to his friend actually and told him, Hey man, you know, like I've seen the movies. I don't want this guy to try and fuck me. <laughs> oh man. It was, he was a Polynesian. He laughed and laughed. He's like, man, don't believe those fucking yeah. movies, dude. That dude's a good dude and he cares about you. Yeah. He knows your people. That's that's a gift. John John ain't gonna want to fuck you later. And I'm like, all right, cool. Man. Yeah, good to know. So, so yeah, good to know. So about a month later, I get rolled up to another part of the prison, and I didn't know a single soul when I went to prison. So all of a sudden, I become a guy who John John, who has a cop bringing him tobacco, is giving me a hundred dollar bag of tobacco every week. So now all of a sudden, I got all kinds of fucking friends. I got all kinds of people who want to be my buddy because I got the fucking smoke, man. I yeah. got the frajos. Yeah. And I felt like a kingpin, dude. I mean, here I went from someone who no one would speak to, to someone that I can't get guys off my porch. Um, and so they roll me up and move me. And they move me to a, to a, a section uh, with a guy who's a notorious prison rapist. His name is David Defoe. And uh, he's in prison for murder. The guy has been, I mean, he's the reason the Utah State Prison lost the free weights. He beat a guy almost to death with a curl bar. The dude is is about as big, wide as he is tall. Damn. Um, and and 
he decided that I was, I was going to be his bitch, I guess. I mean, it, you know, it didn't go down how you see on the movies because, in, you know, when I went to prison, I was pretty sheltered. Although I grew up in Mission Viejo, we'd been living in Utah for about the past four years. So I was pretty sheltered, man. And so I associated gay with like flamboyant, um, you know, high heels and they're in the prison. Like you, you, there, there are a lot of drag queens in the prison. And so that's what I was associating gay with. So here comes this big, huge dude who befriends me. Now, keep in mind, I'm just coming from a place where I was befriended yeah. by another black dude and it was totally cool. Yeah. It was all good where I was over there. Well, I guess I'd gone to a harder part of the prison where I didn't know politics. I don't know what happened, man. But about a, about three days after being in this section, my celly came home, big, huge Mexican dude, and told me, get the fuck out of my cell. But there's a language barrier. We go back and forth. A, a, a guy named Cuba, who's a, who can speak Spanish, came to my cell and told me, ask my celly, let me talk to him. Let me talk to him in Spanish, you know. Yeah. But I couldn't understand Spanish. And he's calling me a hoto. The, oh, my celly. And so I'm like a white dude, like yeah. what? He's telling me, get the fuck out. I mean, this dude's got stab wounds in his head, Shane. He's yeah. a real deal, man. He's been mm -hmm. to Mexican prison. Like this dude is a dangerous dude that I didn't want to have anything to do with sure. on a physical level. So Cuba comes into my cell and told me, Tad, there's people in this prison who will hurt you. And there's people who will kill you. Blanco, your celly will fucking kill you. You got to go, man. But for me to go, Shane means I got to go push the button and tell the cops I can't live here anymore. Oh, I see. I went to prison with 17 felonies, nine forgeries, five burglaries, a damage to a jail, theft and evading arrest, and theft of a vehicle and evading arrest. So I'm fucked, dude. I didn't know how long I was going to do. I did not want to go and tell the cops because once you start running, you have to keep running. Yeah. Word travels in prison to where, hey, this guy checked in. If you check in, you got to go check in or, or you take your ass whooping. So, man, I was in a real tough spot. And, and long story short, Cuba eventually, because I'm like, I'm not fucking gay, dude. Like, I'm yeah. not gay like women. And he's like, why the fuck are you talking to the only fucking, the only dude that will talk to you in the section is a notorious prison rapist. And I'm like. And you had no clue. Because he wasn't yeah, like, this he was, like a man's man, bro. Yeah. He's gigantic. We're talking, I mean, the Jazz and the Bulls were battling in the playoffs, <laughs> you know, at that point in time, remember? And, yeah. and, uh, and that's what we would talk about. Like, it wasn't. We weren't talking about like, you know, in my opinion, what, 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 what? you know, oh, girl, like, wasn't like <laughs> yeah. any of that. And it was, it was, you. and he never touched me, never tried to put his hand. So I was kind of arguing with Cuba. I'm like, he ain't fucking gay, dude. And Cuba was asking me like, are you really that stupid? Are you really this fucking stupid kid? And this is a, this is a Cuban dude. This, no white dudes had come to me in prison yeah. is really racial, man. It is. It is there. The whites are over here. I mean, you know where everyone is, right? When you walk in, I don't care if you're racist or not. When you walk in, you know where everyone is and, and, you, and you feel where everyone is. And so long story short, man, Cuba had gone down to the whites and told him like, this fucking dude is not gay, man. He's going to get raped by this dude. It's not cool what you guys are doing. So they sent him back to my cell with a knife. That's all I got was a big, humongous, it was an industrial sized screwdriver that it had, the handle was off. So, so the plastic wasn't on there, but you could tell it was that, you know, it was a square screwdriver yeah. or some kind of a picking tool that had been sharpened down to a really gnarly fucking point, man, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm probably three months into the prison system right now. I've, I've gotten in several fights, um, you know, people knew I would stand up for myself because, like I said, word travels fast. Yeah. And there's a lot of dudes in prison who won't stand for themselves. A lot. You know, I thought every guy with tattoos was tough when I went to prison. And I, you know, learned really quickly, man, that tattoos don't make you tough. I watch people get 
you know, fucked up and slapped and <laughs> all kind of shit. They had tattoos on their faces and whatnot. So tattoos don't make you tough. Yeah. But uh, anyway, the next morning I went down to that dude's cell with the knife tied to my hand. It's a it's a long, crazy story. But I was telling you about the book, man. I actually went on the Dr. Phil show a few what? years ago. Well, what happened? <laughs> what happened, so man? I, I went to his cell. Well, he told me. So my celly, Cuba wasn't my celly. Cuba was the yeah. guy who arranged all this and talked to my celly. So he tells me at the end of the night, your celly's going to let you stay here overnight because I, I couldn't leave my cell. I was an eye level. Yeah. Meaning I had to stay in my cell. So the next morning I had to go to this dude's cell with a knife. He's fucking huge, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling. So he told me, don't talk to your celly. He's really pissed. He wants to fucking kill you. He's mad Shit. that you have to stay in his cell overnight. So my celly comes in at 10 o'clock because he's at a higher level and he just slams the door and goes and lays on his bed and doesn't say anything to me. And I'm tripping, man. I got yeah, this big yeah. knife in my hand. Bro, I mean, I can't even tell you what was good. There are no words to tell mm -hmm. you what was going on in my emotional body at the time. I, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like, I couldn't believe how my life had gotten to where I was at right now, where I'm in a section in prison holding a knife that my race is telling me if I want to be with them or if I want to be accepted or if I want any kind of protection, I got to go deal with this dude who's a known prison rapist, who's a known crazy motherfucker, who's a known murderer. And he's fucking huge at that. <laughs> and he's, I mean, he's, I'm taller than him. He's only yeah. like, but he's, I mean, this dude's been racking free weights for 20 years, man. Yeah. He's, he's intimidating looking like he, you know, I was scared to, I mean, scared isn't even a, isn't, I mean, yeah. that's like a candle to a forest fire to what I was feeling, man. I was fucking terrified, dude. I was going to leave. And that's why I say it's a long story. Yeah. Long and short of it is I went, my celly ended up telling me it's fucked up what your people are doing to you. If this was a Mexican dude, it wouldn't even be fucking happening because I'd be the one to make sure he wasn't going to get sex played like you're getting sex played. He said, I shouldn't even be getting involved in this man because it's not my beef. Yeah. But I'll go down there with you tomorrow and I'll make sure he doesn't rape you. That was a big deal to me. You know what Fuck, I mean? Dude, I, can take, I can take an ass whooping, man. I don't want to take, I don't want to yeah. get, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it was a big deal. <laughs> um, and, and he did. He came down there with me, but he, you know, he stayed outside of the cell. But I really think it had something to do with David Defoe not reacting. Because hmm. I went in, I went all, I mean, I lived at one end of the tier and he lived at the other. We're right, we're on top. There's uh -huh. 13 cells, 26 cells, 24 cells. In each section. So 12 cells on top. I was in uh, 313. He was in 324. So I had to walk the distance of the tier right when the doors cracked. First thing yeah. in the morning. It is dead quiet in my section. Damn. And I went down to his side. I mean, I can't, you know, he tied. I told my celly the night before he's going to fucking kill me, dude. He's going to take this fucking knife away from me and kill me with this fucking yeah. thing. Man. I don't want to do this. And he told me he would tie the knife in my, bro, it was crazy. It was fucking crazy. Something that, that regular motherfuckers, yeah. even if you have been on drugs or have lived in dope houses, shouldn't have to experience, so man. You, so you walked down there? I walked down there and, and went in his cell. He was just stepping out of his bed and I pulled the knife out and just started yelling like a fucking maniac, man. I was, yeah. I was, I was probably crying. I don't even remember really, yeah. truly like what I said. I remember telling him I'm not gay. I'm a fucking man. I stand on my own two feet and I got a, I got a fucking sword, man, in my yeah. hand. That is a, I mean, it, it, I'd never seen another knife like it in all my time in the prison, in any prison, federal prison, California state prison, or Utah prison, which I've all been in, but yeah, but it was a bone crushing knife, man. I mean, it killed people that, 
that's when I kept looking at it the night before. I'm like, has this thing fucking killed people before? You know? Yeah. But uh, it was just a trip, man. But And he was yelling at me, get out of my cell. How dare you disrespect me like this? I've been nothing but cool to you, which was true. Yeah, which was true. So Which was true. He really had never. But, you know, as time progressed and I saw who he was and I understood politics. But so I yelled and screamed at the top of my lungs and told him. uh, And he's telling me, get the fuck out of my cell. You bring a knife to me like this. And so I, I left. I was grateful that nothing happened, man. But keep in mind, it's it's 5 a.m. It's maybe 5.05. Yeah. It is dead silent in our section except for some crazy fuck yelling upstairs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I leave his cell, and my cellie's following behind me, talking <sighs> shit. My own, my own cellie is telling me, you motherfucker, you stupid motherfucker, as I'm walking down to my back to my cell because I had to get the knife out of my hand. My hand was already blue. Like Shit. that's how he tied it with a boot lace to my yeah. hand over and over again in my hand and taught me how to use it. You know, told me you don't stab him like that. You hold it up against and you punch him. The only time you stab is when you have the opportunity. I'm like, dear God, man. Dear yeah, God. fuck, man. I mean, there's like a training me yeah. about how to put a knife in someone's back when they go down after I hit him. I'm like, my God, man, it was just too much. Yeah. But from that point, no. So anyway, I went back to my cell. He was mad at me that I didn't stab him yeah that you didn't because he's telling me now he's gonna go get a knife and you're gonna have a knife fight on your hands you had him you had the drop on him yeah and he was trying to fuck you you understand like he was trying to like get me mad but yeah i don't hate man i don't have that well dude you know what's so you know what's so crazy man i don't mean to interrupt you dog you and i would not probably would not be having this conversation potentially right now if that had happened because you'd probably still be locked up maybe you know what i'm saying like who and who knows you know but I mean, for shit to play out the way that it does sometimes, man. Um, okay, so I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, no. <laughs> what happens next? <laughs> so so from there, I got summoned to the to – the, well, so he told me, you stupid motherfucker. Like, yeah. he's going to get a knife, and I'm like, oh, my God, dude, when does this end? Like, if I would have had a button that I could have turned off and ended my own life at that point, I would have. Because I was – I mean, I, I was like, dude, are you fucking kidding? I just had a whole sleepless light, night, like not a wink. Yeah. Not even a little bit tired. Because I was going to leave, man. When the cop would come in to do his rounds, uh-huh. I was going to check in. I was going to tell these guys, I need protection, man. Yeah. I'm fucking in a real bad situation. Yeah. Right? But my body wouldn't leave my bed. Like, I, I would try to get up, but I didn't know if the cop was going to, like, say, hold on, I need to go get a sergeant. And my own cellie was going to kill me. You yeah, know, bad a, spot. Yeah, man. It was a real fuck situation. Gosh. So, and now he's telling me that, because David Defoe was the, was the food handler. He would go out onto the floor so he had access to all kinds of shit that we didn't. So my celly, I'm telling him, cut this, cut the knife. My, my fingers are blue, man. Like, cut, yeah, <laughs> cut yeah, help me out. And he's telling me, oh no, that dude's going to get a knife. You're about to be in a fucking real fight. And I'm like, oh God, like, where does this end? You know? And then, and he didn't come back. And so about an hour later, uh, a dude came and got me and said, Tom Reblo wants to see you. And I know who Tom Reblo was. He's the white shot caller. Two, lives two mm-hmm. doors down from me. And so I went into his, went down and went to his cell and the dude told me, I'm not going to apologize because I don't believe in that shit. You got to imagine what me and my brothers were thinking. You came here, David Defoe talked to you very first on the floor. You were first put in section one, David Defoe got you moved over here to his section. What the, what the fuck did you think we were all thinking? Yeah. And so I basically just kind of ran it down to him, dude, that I'm a fish, like a real fucking fish where like, I didn't do any juvenile time either. I'm a real fucking rookie, man. 
but I'm not fucking gay and I'm down to fight if that's what we got to do. Yeah. And he's, they were real proud of me. They were real, you know, he's like, no one does that to David Defoe. Like you're a fucking crazy motherfucker, man. And I was, it was just fear. Really. It wasn't really yeah. crazy. It was fucking fear coming out as aggression, but I was scared, man. So they gave me all their literature, all the white supremacist shit. They gave me the, you know, the white man's Bible, nature's eternal religion. They gave me all this crazy shit. I'd never met a white supremacist my whole life, man. I'd seen those motherfuckers on Geraldo throwing chairs around. <laughs> I remember you know what I mean? That's yeah. my only interaction. Yeah. I mean, you hear about the Ku Klux Klan and shit like that, but I'd never, and these, I mean, no one fucks with these dudes, man. You know what I mean? No one fucks with them. They walk in formation on the yard. They do workout cadences on the yard like a military. Yeah, man. I was going to no say very mil military style, I'm sure. Yeah. And so, they told me I was with them now. I eat at their table. I walk the yard with them. I work out with them. And it wasn't a, it wasn't like a, hey, it wasn't a, like, like a fraternity. Uh, you know, I wasn't rushing for them. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, and, and truly, Shane, I wouldn't have cared if they were Muslim. I wouldn't have cared if they were Jewish. I wouldn't have cared at all. It didn't matter what these guys were. It meant that I no longer had to get fucked with. And I was being fucked with a little bit. I mean, when I got that tobacco... I mean, so I got in a fight my, my, my second day in prison, my first day on the yard. So that's a 30 day period, two fights. Um, I got in a fight with my celly while I was running that tobacco. Hmm. Uh, I got in a fight on the basketball court. So, I mean, I had been, I had been, um, being violent, you know, which was, which was out of my nature, but I think it, it goes right in line with what you were talking about earlier. It's a switch that yeah. you just turn off, man. And that survival and, instinct. And survive. Yeah. Exactly. Survive, dude. Fucking put your head back and swing. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's really what well, it's, it's about, man. It's crazy, too, man, because I, I, I like the fact that you pointed out, like, it, it, you wouldn't have cared if they were Muslim or Jewish or whatever, because when you, when you look back now, you know, yeah, you joined up in a white supremacy gang in prison to survive, it sounds to me like it really had nothing to do with race in a sense. It's more or less survival and like, I have to stick here to live. You know what I mean? So I can ride this out and see what comes next. Because if I don't, there's a good chance I might not make it through this, this time that I got to do. Yeah, for sure. It's accurate. So what, That's, um, well, go ahead, man. No, well, I, I was just going to say that, you know, but when you, when you adopt an ideal, man, you, you, and, and I understand it now, yeah, you know, I, I get I get the power of our thinking. I get the power of our word. Um, I didn't back then. You know, like I said, it's just in survival mode. So you're right. But but uh, I took it and ran with it, man. I mean, I remember going yeah. back to their cell the next morning because the, 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 what I was reading was um, was like Greek or not Greek mythology, like ancient Nordic mythology with like Zeus and, and or Thor and Odin Um you know, and I was, I went back to those guys' cell and, and told them, man, like, I believe in God, like, this doesn't ring true to me. And they were laughing at me and telling me that they're, you know, some of the guys in the room were, were Christians even, and, and you know, you get to believe whatever you want to believe. And so, so I gave, gave their literature back to them, but little by little, I started creeping into it and reading. And, and when you're in a place, man, where, where it, it is about hate, you know, it's, it's about people hating themselves and then because you hate yourself, you want to try and level and, and look around to who you can. And that's why prisons are breeding grounds, man, for gangs and racial hate groups. But uh, and, and it spiraled, man. I mean, I went from being a, a scared, innocent to where 
I started to gain momentum and steam and got sent to maximum security and, and, you know, was earning a, a, I guess a a name for myself where people were starting to talk, being crazy. Yeah. Like I did as a kid doing outrageous, crazy shit. I just fell right back into that role in prison. But, but you got to be careful what you put your faith in, man. You got to be careful what, what you allow your mind to, because if you plant seeds of hatred in your garden of your mind, man, and you nourish them, they grow, they grow and they take root and they, and they take over. and, And that's what really happened, man. And, and then I got sent back to, to Max. And when they first opened the gang unit, they, they, in Utah, you know, cause Utah's not California. It's, but I can tell you, man, of all the prisons that I've been in, Utah is by far the most violent. No question. Mm-hmm. I've been in federal prison and California state prison and Utah is the most violent that I saw anyway. Yeah. But the, so they made the gang unit. They, they, I guess established it, uh, kind of in the same sense as they did Pelican Bay, the shoe in Pelican Bay. Um, I was the first guy in there, me and big JR went into cell 401 when they first made it. And so, you know, I definitely, uh, the administration didn't see what I was doing as fear. They didn't see what, you know, they didn't say, Hey, this guy's a, a kid that came in and just had to get down with who he had to get down with because his life was in danger. They really, they labeled me as a, as a, well, in the beginning they didn't, they said I was a follower, you know, in the reports because I've, I've got my my, my jacket from the prison, at least some of it, there's a video of my stabbing. I got stabbed real good in a, in a pretty bad race war where, uh, but they won't give me that video, but we're, we're working on it, man. There's a TV show in the works, really? uh, intervening on, on young white supremacists who are, who are looking to get into the movement or maybe even looking to get out who aren't looking to get out who are in. And, and they're going to have uh, me and, and two other guys, um, who are on the panel. I don't really know how it's going to go down yet. We're about to start filming, um, I think at the end of this week. So I don't really yeah. know much about it yet, but I am so excited about it. Well, yeah, I bet because that sounds to me like a huge opportunity for you, um, you know, to sit in front of some of these younger cats that are looking to go down the same path that you went down and tell them like, look, like this ain't the way to go. Right. I mean, is that, is that kind of through your experience and through the shit that you've been through? Um, now you get a chance to to talk to these, to these guys about it. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I, I tell people all the time, Shane, like I'm, I'm passionate about, about drugs and alcohol because I've, I've been a slave before I've been trapped. Yeah. Um, but my God, dude, like I am, I am like every cell of my being wants to help people who are involved in hatred. Cause I know that darkness, man, yeah. like it is, that's what it is. Like there is no other word for it. Yeah. You can call it white supremacy. You can call it hatred. You can call it white separatism. It's fucking, it's darkness, dude. Yeah. It's what it is. And, and I've lived in that darkness, man. And, and so when I get a chance to, to uh, you know, I worked on a project um, a few years ago with a group out of London, um, a, a really amazing group. I mean, Barack Obama was even involved in the project or at least was aware of it. So, I mean, it was a big deal, man. But yeah. we started uh, Facebook and Google with, you know, they worked together seeking out people who were who were actively promoting white supremacist stuff online on their facebook page or they were searching uh white supremacist stuff and so we had a campaign where we were reaching out to these dudes and 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 to be honest with you i'm like this ain't gonna fucking work man these guys are hardcore skins man like they're gonna get a message from a stranger me uh saying hey man you know what i mean you're doing shit all wrong bro like, I don't think that would have been well-received by me when I was in my shit. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And, dude, it was, it was, 
And then, you know, when we first started, I got nervous and I'm like, man, I'm a sitting duck. Like these guys could come and fucking get. And so I'm like, I started talking with the group out of London. I, I wanted them to make me a face, fake, uh, a fake Facebook account so that people wouldn't be able to track me. I mean, I'm pretty easy to find, you know, we have an intervention yeah. company. And if one of these motherfuckers just decided that, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to get this fool. He could. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you about that, man. Do you still have to sweat that just from, you know, from, from breaking away from that lifestyle? Is that something that you still sweat a little bit or is it, um, you know, is it just, it is what it is. I, I, yeah, it is what it is. I don't, I yeah. don't sweat it. I mean, I, you know, I'm, 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 de- I'm not a tough guy. I don't, you know, pride myself on being a tough guy, but I can defend myself. There ain't sure. too many them dudes that are going to come and, and whoop me one-on-one anyway. Yeah. Um, but they got guns and I don't want to fight anybody with a gun, <laughs> but you know, yeah. for somebody to like sit in a room and think I'm going to get a gun, I'm going to go kill Tad Stringham because he yeah. sent me like, it's not yeah, it's- really realistic, man. That shit's sure. movies. You know what I mean? Like in all the time that I did, we never went after no one that I ever know went after family members. One yeah. dude in prison got raped and that's because he raped a, a Mexican gang member's sister on the street. So they raped him. Because there's so many, it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on, but no, I don't, I don't sweat it, yeah. man. Life's too short to fear. And, and, and I've, I've switched out of a vibration of fear and hate and animosity and yeah. confusion well, into I- a vibration of love, man. And it's, there's just no room for it. I love my life, dude. I love connecting with other people and bro, the, the, the campaign was radical. It was yeah. so as I'm in the mix making a fake Facebook account because I didn't want these dudes <laughs> to know who I was. The first message I got, because none of the guys were responding, none of them were, were responding. And so I finally got a message and it said, Man, I didn't know how to take this uh, message. And then I researched you and I, and I dug into to who you were. And, uh, and I want out, man. And I man. think you can help. Bro, like you talk about energy shifting and like, yeah. That was yeah. a that was a real big, like, not that I I don't feel that I owe society anything. I don't have a debt because I've already forgiven myself. People act at the level of consciousness that they possess at the time, and my level of consciousness in prison was low, real low, maybe even lower than what I was using. So, I don't I don't hold myself accountable. At the same time, um, I get to get back to my roots, man. My roots are love. I mean, that's what we are at the core of our being. Not, it's not a choice that we make. Like, I think I'm going to love this person. Like we are love at the core of our beings, at the depth of our beings. And so it's not a, anything that needs to be learned. It's, it's just a remembering. It's just a a recollection, man, being able to put that macho bravado man shit down and really get in touch with who you are. Cause who you are, isn't a fucking badass. Who you are, isn't a, isn't a, a hateful motherfucker that doesn't like other people. That's not, that's all that shit's learned, man. Yeah. That's unnatural. It is, it is against human nature to not love. And, and if you don't love man, it's because the voice in your head won't let you. And, and I, the voice in my head speaks truth to me. Now it speaks love to me rather than the rhetoric that you read on a day-to-day basis in prison. I mean, you read mind comp, you read, nature's eternal religion you read the white man's bible you read the 14 word press from i mean all this stuff that you can get your hands on you inundate your being with it and then you're surrounded by a bunch of other guys who are doing this and like i said man it takes root i mean you you, if you plant seeds of hatred and you nourish them they will grow the cool thing about that whole picture shane is that if you plant seeds of love and you nourish them they grow 
and and the strength by which they grow and the and, and the and the depth of their roots Astro, they're not even comparable to hatred man like yeah. love is the highest vibration dude and when you can when you can put the fear aside because that's all it is man white yeah. supremacy is fear that's all it is exposed as aggression or or, or, or fronted as a it's fear man yeah that's all it is and so dude when this guy reached out to me the first time and said i looked into you and, you know because i just sent him something that said uh you know look man i, I respect your views because i once shared them um but i now live a life of love and on my own terms i don't i don't let other people dictate what i get to do with my day and my time that's mine now um and if you want some help seeing how you can live life on your own terms uh get a hold of me and dude shane like people were reaching out left and right i'm still working with some of the guys man really fucking cool shit bro i mean it's it's just as cool you know when when we get called in to work with families yeah you know it weren't our message isn't any different than what the family's been telling them. There's maybe just a little less aggression in our voices because families are scared, man. They think they're going to lose their loved ones. And so it's fear. It's fear. It yeah. comes out as aggression. It comes out as when you're going to get your life together, when you're going to stop doing this shit, when you're going to get a job. It's fear, man. It's well, fear that the person's not going to be here anymore. And I think, man, I think this is a good, a good kind of segue into um, Awaken Industries. And maybe you can talk a little bit about how this how this started for you um i know you've kind of already touched on it a little bit um and in the fact that you get to work with some of the 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 hardest of the hardest dudes you know i guess maybe from an outside perspective you know because the way you put it is um i think it's very you know very truthful and real is that all of us on the inside man or many of us are, are soft you know even though we want to appear like we're tough like from a from a manly perspective i'll just give you my take on it i'm a i have two young kids i have a wife i'm definitely not some tough guy by any means i'm a nice guy but at the same time as a man i want to feel like a man and so sometimes you know yeah i get angry or I, I maybe maybe try to act like i'm tough a little bit or whatever man but when i when like when we realize that we we don't have to run walk around and act like that like through communication and knowledge um healthy knowledge at that uh man we can really shape and be good men without being dickheads you know what i mean does that yeah. make sense yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah so so i I just well first off too because i feel like i'm going on uh, going off track here i just want to tell you first of all man like i i appreciate this conversation so much man and your your honesty and realness and i'm, I'm sure it's probably not something that is fun to talk about or that you enjoy talking about but it is part of your past and it's part of you know it's part of you going through that shit that allows you um, to help these other men out there because you've been through it. They respect you for that. If, if anything alone, you know, they've seen the, the realness of it and this is what can happen if you go down this path. And so talk a little bit about the work that you do with Awaken Industries. Um, who are some of the, the guys that you're working with these days? And then I know this is kind of a two-part question uh, and you're, if you don't want to talk about this, I totally get it. Obviously there's a lot of, racial shit going on in our country right now and i don't care you know from my point of view i don't care if you're black white um brown gay straight fat skinny i don't care as americans we need to come together as a people because this this divide and conquer strategy that is going on right now is it's in my opinion it is very 
well strategized from a, a higher up, if that makes sense. And it's not, it, it's bullshit to me. And so um, what it, I would love to hear your take on that. If you're interested in, in touching on that a bit. Oh man, I would, I would love to dude. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's really interesting, man. When, when, um, after you've been a part of hatred, um, I don't know if I, I feel like a sense of guilt or, or, uh, yeah, I don't really know what it is, man, but, but I, I, I have such strong feelings, man, when, when the things that are happening in our country are happening, man, because, and, and I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you that, that it's being, the pot is being stirred. I mean, where are our leaders, man? Yeah. I'm not talking about elected officials. I'm not, I'm talking about leaders. I'm talking about like Martin Luther King, uh, mother Teresa, like where's our leaders, man, that can step up and let's talk about this. Yeah. Let's get it out in the open. Let's have some hard discussions that people usually don't scratch the surface on because they yeah. just get angry and act violent. But what is that serving, man? Yeah. What is that serving? I tell you, I've heard innocent people before. And I'm telling you, man, that the aftermath of hurting innocent people is fucked. It's fucked, dude. You have to live with that for the rest of your life. And, and I don't care what anybody says, whether racial, I mean, horrible things have happened in this. I mean, this, this country was built on, you know, slavery and, and horrible things that I'm sure every single person in this country wishes they could erase, but they yeah. can't. It happened, man. It went down. There, that collective pain body is there. Like, I get it. I understand it. I I, I get it. Um, in the sense that, that I, I, I understand why they're frustrated and, and, and mad. Um, but God damn it, let's talk about this, man. Let's get some people who can come in and interject some positivity and, and find out how we can, can meet in the middle. Yeah. Like it's, it's out of control, man. And it, and it's, it's something is going to happen, Shane, if we don't get this thing under wraps, it's going to tip the scales, man. And, and, and when it goes, it's going to go. I, I mean, I've seen it on a prison yard. Yeah. It just goes where, and, and if you haven't experienced it, it's, it's, but man, we got to get this under wraps. I, I've been waiting for a leader to emerge, man. And, and who can, who can talk to both sides who can, cause yeah. I mean, it, there's truth in both sides. It's not that one person's right. And we just need to demand that like, Every single person has a perspective, man. Every single person is running the movie that they're in. Yeah. And what's wrong is that we're trying to make other people secondary characters in our own movie when they're running their own fucking movie, man. Yeah. They're the <laughs> main characters point. in their own movie, just like we are. Mm -hmm. So why can't we compromise, man? Love is a very, very powerful thing. And when you can enter into it and figure it out, like, like I, I understand where they're coming from. You know, I, I get it, man. Like these cops are out of control. They're, 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 but not all of them. Well, man. that's, and that's what I, yeah. And, and I, that's a good point. That's what I was going to say is that, you know, a few, there's always going to be a few bastards in every bunch. You know what I mean? On whether, whether it's, um, what side you're on doesn't really matter. And so, and, and I, it's funny how this has kind of turned into this conversation because I, on a, I never talk about this kind of shit on the show because it's not it's, you know, it's not really a part of the show, but it's part of my, um, you know, personal beliefs, I guess. And I have conversations with family and friends occasionally about this stuff, but it's so important that we do talk about this. And I guess I have a fear of talking about it even, which is a bad thing in itself. Like I shouldn't be scared to talk about my, what I feel inside my opinion, 
My opinion is my opinion. Nobody can tell me I'm wrong in my opinion. They might disagree with me, but at the same time, you know, I shouldn't have to have to not speak my mind. So I'm, I'm here. I go again off on this, but what I was going to say um, is that through we only see what media designs us to see, and so when when this media is being pushed upon us on on a mainstream level, day in and day out, nothing but negativity, nothing but fear based. Um, a lot of it is not true at all. Um, right. You know these quote unquote leaders that are leading both sides of these. You know that that I guess that was my point in saying like we need as a people in this country, a huge wake-up call from a trance that we have been put in. We've been put in a trance through media, through technology, through all of these things over the years. And it's time that we break that trance and come together, unite as a people, because you, and this is kind of classic, almost cliche-ish, but it's so true, is united we stand and divided we fall. Divide and conquer. You know what I'm saying? And so that, that to me, it just... It feels good to talk about it. So I'm sorry if I kind of went off a little bit there, man, but I, I don't get to talk about it often enough. I try to stay away from the political stuff on Facebook and all that, but it just, it, it honestly pisses me off, to, you know, yeah. to be real. And what it's, it's just nonsense, yeah. really. It's yeah. just nonsense when we, if we can get back in touch with what's real, man, but that's going to take, it's going to, I don't know what it's going to take. I mean, I, I think that we need somebody to, I mean, I hope this, I'm doing my part, man. That's, yeah. that's all I yeah. can do is, is, you know, this TV show couldn't come at a better time. I mean, this all started about, it was at the, the first time I ever talked to the TV show was at the foundations conference in San Diego. When I met you, Yeah, I, yeah. I went into one of the rooms and, and did an interview with the television show. And since that time, look at what's happened, look yeah. at what's going on in our world, man. And so I don't think they're there. The timing is perfect. And I, I really hope that, um, you know, cause I've told the producers, man, that I'm not in a, I'm not in a space anymore where I used to be, you know, when I first got in this business chain, um, I was, I was kind of recruited as a badass, I guess you could say as somebody who was, who was, uh, and, and they tried to, Michael Lohan. I did some, some filmings with him to, to be an extreme interventionist. Like a lot of crazy stuff happened. And, and I had to go through that to evolve back to a place where I'm at now. Yeah. Which, is, which is a return to love, man, a return to who yeah. roots and who I really am. Um, so, you know, I really hope that this, that the show uh, won't be set up like the show intervention where it's, where it's more for the user, more for the, Hey, let's do what the, let's do what the, the, the media or the, or the, or the people watching want us to do, um, you know, to build, uh, you know, ratings or, Whatever. This is real shit, man. It's yeah. really going on in our world today. There are youngsters right now who are being actively recruited, um, and and when when you're when you're somebody who's been who's a uh, what's the word I'm looking for rejected by society, maybe an yeah. outcast. That's perfect, dude. Those yeah. are those are those are the people that these white supremacist recruiters are looking for, man. People who have been rejected by society. Yeah. Let's um let's take a few more minutes, man. I want to be respectful of your time. I appreciate, dude, this conversation. This has been one of my favorite conversations with you, man. Like seriously, um, let's let's end let's end with this, man. Talk a little bit, Tad, about what life is like today. Um, what life is like being clean and sober. What life is like giving back uh, to society and then to these um you know to these young men that you get to help on a on a daily basis, man. What's that like for you? Oh man. Again, I mean, how do you how do you put words 
to it. You know, I mean, three prison sentences. I've got stab wounds all over. I mean, all over my body. I'm tattooed from neck to toe and political, you know, work yeah. that, that, that you, you get in prison. And so, you know, I, I have to pinch myself all the time, Shane, I, where I'm, I, you know, it's a trip to me that I'm in a place of giving other people advice for their life, man. Yeah. Like when you sit staring at, at a cinder block wall or, or a gray concrete wall for years, man, you know, that's the shit they don't show on TV when they're glorifying these drugs and they're glorifying crime to our, mm-hmm. to our young people, man, that, and all these, these icons, these, these people that we look up to are carrying guns and shooting themselves and each yeah. other and, and, and doing drugs and, and, and living the life that they're living, man. Like our, 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 our young people are, are fighting a, a really serious battle, man, where, where it's cool to be a thug. Yeah. Oh, it's cool. And, and that's what they don't tell you though. So when I get a chance to work with these guys and explain to them that what the fucking movies don't show you is that you're going to sit in a fucking isolation cell for years. Not, I'm not talking a few days, man. I can do a couple days and stand it on my head. I'm talking about years of your life that start falling off and they're gone. They're just gone. There's, I mean, even on your drug use, you've got some stories and, and some growing that happens, you know, on your down times when you're kicking dope or what, you know, you're homeless, you're in a hotel, whatever, man. Yeah. You're in a prison cell. And, and I mean, especially in maximum security, I mean, guys that go and go to low security units, I mean, you know, they might not have the same, the, the, this experience that I'm talking about, but you know, when you go in and, and you go in like I did, where you're, you're acting out out of fear, you spend time doing nothing, wasting your life, man. And, and that's what they don't show. And so getting it, getting to work with people before that presents itself in their life to me, I mean, angels deliver a message of love and truth, man. And so I, I really, I'm honored, dude. I'm honored to be in the position that I'm in. Um, I'm honored to get to work with families because, you know, a lot of the work that we do is with families. A lot of times it takes a minute to break through that tough shell. You know, drugs make you, uh, untrusting of people. It's just, you know, one of the, so it takes a minute to break through, but but the truth is, man, that, that love wins, dude. Love wins every yeah. single time. And when you can go and explain to a family, because I've been on both sides, man. You know, I've, I've had loved ones who are addicted and, and fucked up, and, and I've been fucked up. So I get, a, I get to talk to families from one perspective, and then I get to talk and, and just bring them back together. You know, an intervention is not to get someone to go to treatment. That may be what needs to happen, and usually it is. But it's the first step, man. Our goal is not to get someone to go to treatment. That's not our goal. And, and, and we, we're really clear with families about that. This is about creating a lifelong relationship with somebody who now has someone that they can trust to give them good, solid advice, man. To be a friend in, in a dark time when the friends they've got right now are just feeding them more bullshit. Yeah. Everyone's miserable. And when you're miserable, you just give misery away. You can't be miserable on the inside and give love on the out. It just doesn't, maybe for a minute, but, but you know, true colors are shown eventually, but to get to explain to families, man, this isn't your son. Like this isn't your son. This is someone who's being controlled by a force greater than himself. And that's drugs. And if you can separate that, cause you know, a lot of families, they, they have little Jimmy and then you have crystal meth and they come, they, they, they combine them. To where now little Jimmy's a piece of shit because of things that he's done on crystal meth. No, no, man. No, no. That's Jimmy. That's your boy. That's your baby. And if we don't do something about this, you're either going to be visiting behind a piece of glass or you're going to be staring at his gravestone, man. 
And both of those are unacceptable. So let's do something about it. Let's get back to a place of love where we can vibrate from a place of love, man. And, and, and bro, miracles happen like yeah. crazy, cool, amazing shit happens when families forget about what they've learned, which is that drugs are bad. Drugs are wrong. You're somehow, it's a character defect that you're an addict. You're somehow less than others. When you can get all that bullshit out of the way and explain to him, Jimmy hates himself right now, man. And if you can understand that, like he hates himself. When you hate yourself, you can't give love away. You can't. How can you? You hate yourself. You can't love anyone else if you don't love yourself. And being able to explain that to families, man, lights come on, dude, that have been off for a long time. And you can't destroy bridges of love. They're always there. The materials just fall to the ground. They can be resembled immediately, immediately with, with a, with a look, maybe even an apology, but, but it's rad, dude. It's rad. Family members that are at odds with their loved ones is, is fucking crazy, dude. People die on this shit, man. And you never get a chance to have that physical connection with them again like it's gone and and i've i mean bro i've worked with a lot of families that don't have the opportunity to try and continue to love their loved one through their trial Hmm. it's over they don't get that opportunity anymore and that you know when when you can get in touch with that dude it's powerful yeah so i'm i'm honored dude to get to do what i do i mean i get i get paid for this shit yeah (laughs) this is crazy yeah it's crazy. And, and I, and I still have like, where I'm like, man, I hope this family doesn't look into my past. <laughs> <laughs> still they have brought that. me in their house, yeah. you know, man, but, I'm, man, I'm, a, I'm, I'm honored to talk to you, man, to have you share on, on the show today. And, uh, I know that, um, I mean, this had a profound impact on me just hearing your story and what you've been through and what you've been able to turn your life around and offer this, um, to a community of people who are good people, man, who just, are lost a little bit, you know, and, um, if, if someone out there listening, you know, maybe they have a family member, maybe, maybe it's themselves that they're, they're on a similar path, man. They're headed down the wrong road. Maybe, maybe it's with a gang. Maybe it's with, uh, maybe it's with, you know, stealing, doing drugs, drinking, um, you know, where, where can they find some information if they wanted to reach out to you? Um, and then also what, what advice would you give them, Tad? So we can be, we have, uh, our website is, is www.awakenindustries.net. Um, that's where it would be the easiest way to, uh, our, and our hotline. We also have a, a crisis hotline. It's 866-96-SOBER. Uh, it's 866-967-6237. Um, my advice is that don't give up, man. The strength is in the struggle and families that go through, trials together rather than drawing lines in the sand and and playing the tough love card um the families that can do that and go through it with them man they're hurting that's all that's going on here this person is suffering inside the drugs are a are a a side effect they're a they're what's coming out i mean this person doesn't love themselves and when you can when you can step back from what your friends have been telling you take their car away stop talking to them kick them out of the house this person is suffering man and when you can get back in touch with compassion uh you know you you get to realize man that going having the opportunity to go through someone's pain with them is a great honor man it's a it's it's something that um it 
that I believe it's the fibers that like hold us together as humanity, as a people, you know, that, that connection is real, um, that we have together, our oneness with each other. And so you think about how strong it is with, with families or friends that, that want to help out and reach somebody. So my advice to people who are, who are suffering is that, uh, good hard times didn't come to stay, man, they came to pass. And so, and, and rock bottom is when you decide to put that shovel down and stop digging and start climbing your way out and and to the family members is is like don't give up don't ever 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 give up man that i i have family members that i've worked with that that sometimes i have families call that lost people man in the struggle and would give anything in the world to have just five more minutes 15 more minutes one more day um with their loved one and so I know that at families start to think, what else can we do? There's nothing that can be done. What are these people, strangers from California, going to come in and tell my son that I haven't already told him? And I understand that fear. You know, I get that. That, that makes sense to me. But when you have somebody who's been through pain, pain understands pain. Mm-hmm. And I, that's the only way I can explain that is that pain understands pain. And when you can lock eyes with somebody who's in pain, and they can see the pain in your own eyes and they can see the hope in your own eyes that I'm not hurting anymore, man. That I don't have an inner dialogue with myself that tells me what a piece of shit I am anymore. It's hope, man. Yeah. And, and, and so that's my message, man, that you're not a piece of shit. You're divine. You're not who you see staring back at you in the mirror. That's just your image. There is a force within your body that is moving that reflection that you see in the mirror. And that's who you are. And when you can get back in touch with that, man, cool fucking shit happens. Damn, man, that's powerful shit, Tad. Man, dude, I, I love uh, I love your passion, man. I love right. it. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll we'll put a link, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to Awaken Industries and we'll put the uh, the phone number up on there as well. So that'll be on the website. Uh Tad, thanks so much for joining us today, man. It was, a, it was an honor, man. Dude, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much, Shane.